want to welcome you to the panel in which we're going to present as much as we can in about 40, 45 minutes about our wonderful field education program. I hope that you are here if you're just interested to learn more about it, including whether you're thinking about an MTS or an MDiv or you're not sure, or even if you're thinking about a doctoral program. Um, we have a very um, wide and open uh, stance toward students participating in field education, so we want to model that here and welcome you very much. Thank you for taking the time to come and visit Harvard Divinity School and to consider um, the degrees that we offer. I know that you have a lot of options in your life right now, including you're probably thinking, do I want to do graduate school or not do graduate school? If so, what graduate school? And so we are committed during this day, as you probably already heard from my colleagues, to giving you the kind of information that will help you in some of that discernment process. So I also, in addition to uh, moderating this panel, want to say that I will be available um, the rest of the day also for any questions that you have. I'm very happy to meet with you and help you just think about what might be best for you. Um, I am Emily Click, as it probably says up there, and you're probably aware, but just to make sure you know. And I'll just give you a very thumbnail brief introduction um, to who I am. I direct the field education program and um, also teach several courses and work on the faculty. I myself have an MDiv. Um, I got it about 150 years ago. Um, and then I, I worked for a decade in um, congregational leadership as a pastor in several different settings. Um, settings. And so I am an ordained Christian minister. And following that work, I began working in field education and really fell in love with field education. So I've been working in that for over 20 years, um, originally on the West Coast um, at Claremont School of Theology, where I also completed my PhD, in which I studied what does it take to form religious leaders. And that was both a religious education degree, a leadership degree, and one that looked in depth at field education across um, the United States and Canada. So that's a little bit of my background. And um, I would just want to say that I think that if you're looking at the MDiv programs in several settings, field education should be a key part of your decision. You might also be looking at a master's of social work or some other graduate degrees, many of which also require some form of field education. And so in some ways, you need to look for a fit with how you think about preparation in the field education program. And they're very different across different graduate degrees. My daughter right now is completing a master's of social work, and she's doing field education. But it's a very different approach generally in social work than it is in a master of divinity. Um, one of the, so I want to tell you a little bit of the distinctives about Harvard Divinity School and our field education program. Um, first and foremost, we really believe that adult learners learn best when it, what they do is student-directed. Now, that doesn't mean we think students are necessarily the experts on the subject matter or on the topic or on the practice, but we want students to generate their own interest in what they will then pursue. So we don't have like a bulletin board with little three by five cards that 
list the possibilities for you to go to for field education. We don't put you into a box. We do, however, have um, a listing of a large number of sites that have hosted students. And over the years, they have become sort of officially affiliated with Harvard Divinity School. They've gone through a process of having somebody identified at their site who will regularly supervise students in theological reflection. Now that's one of the pieces that I really want to focus on as crucial to field education. Many of you who've already graduated are already doing very significant work. You're maybe already directing a nonprofit or you're working in a nonprofit or you're doing some kind of work. Almost none of you who are doing that kind of work are afforded one hour every week with a supervisor who will sit with you and think and reflect theologically about the meaning of the things that are going on in that setting. And that's what's required in the field education setting. That's why it's an educational venture primarily rather than just a sort of professional preparation, which it also is. But it is educational because it is we're trusting these contexts, we're trusting these supervisors to help teach um, our students not only how to do things, but how to be what we would call a reflective practitioner in the midst of that. So <clears throat> uh, we see field education as a crucial integrating part of our curriculum. So that um, I, I'm going to um, step back in just a minute and have our students speak a great deal about their experiences. And I think I just want to point you to listen carefully to them, how they reference what they're doing in their courses versus what they're doing in their field ed. If they are, you don't have to insert that if you're not already planning to say anything about that. But it just usually does come up. So that we, as Dudley mentioned in the earlier panel, if you were here, we welcome you to do field education in your first semester, which is, again, a distinctive about Harvard Divinity School. That is not true at every um, school that you might be considering. So why would we do that? You know, you wouldn't necessarily have done any more coursework than you've done at this very minute when you start your field ed. The major reason is because we believe that you're not just learning theory in the classroom, and then going out to apply it in practice in field education. Very often what you're learning in field education is very generative in relation to theory, and it's very valuable to bring what you're learning and doing in field education into the classroom. The classroom is a more vibrant place because of that. And sometimes it really will shift the learning, not only for you, but for your cohort and for your peers. So field education is a crucial integrated part of the curriculum. You are, of course, also developing skills with an excellent mentor who is trained, usually, in engaging theological reflection. Just a couple of other um, major aspects of field education. First, again, as I said at the very beginning, we welcome MTS students. You are required as an MDiv to do two units of field education. MTS, you're not required, but you are welcome. A unit of field education is 350 to 400 hours in context. So you might be in a hospital working as a chaplain. You might be at Tufts University working as a university chaplain. You might be in a public health center um, simply working with people there, um, trying to help them access health care in a way that might 
actually address some very fundamental social injustices that you feel is your ministry to address social injustice. We have people who've worked in the Civil Rights Division um, uh, in downtown Boston um, with the, with the um, lawyers for civil rights and so forth. So there are a lot of different things you might do for 350 to 400 hours. One of those must be completed concurrently with an academic year. And the other unit could also happen during an academic year. You can do up to five units, so you could do all three academic years and the two summers in between, or just two of them. So that year that you're doing an, a concurrent um, field education, in other words, at the same time as you're taking a full-time load of courses, one of those courses is going to be called Meaning Making. And it goes throughout the year, and it is a companion to field education where you meet with your peers in um, extended reflective sessions. I think Laura, my colleague, is going to say a little bit more about that in just a moment. So um, again, we have Christian congregations. We have Buddhist-identified sites. I don't want to say sanghas because it's just a whole range of things that might be identified with Buddhism. We have lots of sites that are not religiously affiliated. We have somebody at the law school right now at the immigration clinic. So that has no religious affiliation whatsoever. All of those kinds of sites are um, appropriate. You can either do one of the sites that I've said are listed in our handbook, and we're going to give you a, a bookmark in a minute that will give you a, a link to the URL where all of these things are listed. Or you can do a student-initiated placement. So you look at the whole list, you talk with us, and you say, yeah, that, none of those are what I need to pursue. Then we work extensively with you to help you to design the kind of field education project that will be right for you. And I think Salvador is going to talk about one example of how we do um, those student-initiated placements, um, and in particular, uh, one of those could be done internationally, as Salvador did this past summer. So we do have funding for you to um, do international placements. Um, a very important distinctive of Harvard Divinity School is that we thankfully have the resources to make it possible for you to win, not win, <laughs> to earn your work-study allotment uh, in field education. So you are paid when you are doing field education. Um, again, there are uh, graduate degrees where you're actually not allowed to be paid in your internship or it's not expected that you are. We do expect that you are paid. Obviously, you have to be work-study eligible in order to be paid work-study money. And you also need to be in a site that is work-study appropriate. That's federal money. And so if you're working, for example, in a Christian congregation, that generally is not work-study uh, eligible. In that case, we do ask the site to pay you directly. Um, let me introduce my um, colleagues in the Office of Ministry Study. Dudley Rose, who was at the panel um, that you just heard from, he was at the far end, um, oversees the MDiv and is, is uh, the head of our Office of Ministry Studies. Um, Sydney, are you here? Sydney is our wonderful work-study student right now who's done a lot of the background work, and we appreciate her very much. Then Leslie McPherson, who I think is anchoring the Office of Ministry Studies, so if you come to my office hours later, you'll probably meet Leslie. She's the department administrator. Carol Luongo 
um, also works in our office. And then let me now introduce Laura Tuak, who's going to take it from here. Laura Tuak is my colleague in the Office of Ministry Studies. She works extensively with field education and also teaches a very exciting innovation capstone course uh, to, that's welcome to MDivs in their third year um, and also helps um, teach the leadership class that I also teach. Um, Laura Tuak has been here since uh, mm, the Earth cooled. No, um, 2008. 2008, and has an MDiv from HDS. And she will say a few words and then introduce our panel. So thank you again for coming, and I'll hang around afterwards. You can talk from there if you want. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. I'll just stay here um, alongside these amazing students who you'll hear from. And as Emily said, my name is Laura Tuak, and I work. Uh, in the Office of Ministry Studies, uh, largely a lot one-on-one -on -one with students to determine uh, what a good fit for them in terms of their uh, field education placements will be. So a lot of deep listening about uh, the pulls on one's heart, um, possibly feel it could feel like a call or um, even um, a deep commitment to justice out of one's ethical um, uh, values. So deep listening to help them um, have a plan toward experiences that will get them further along that path. Uh, it's a real privilege to do this kind of work with students like these. Um, so I'm going to start by introducing them very briefly. I'll introduce all of them. I don't want to steal their thunder because they will be sharing not only about the kinds of experiences they've had, but a little bit about the organizations as well. So I'll start with Ella Hartley, who's on the end. Ella is a second-year MDiv. Uh, last summer, she returned to Colorado to the Colorado Outward Bound School um, as an intern after having worked there and did uh, diversity and inclusion work as well as uh, trauma-informed spiritual care with people out in the outdoors. And that's just a little bit of what she did. And then this year, she is working at a community health center doing um, restorative justice and racial healing work. Um, and I'm drawing a blank on the name of the place. Racial Reconciliation and Healing Project. Right, Racial Reconciliation and Healing Project in Jamaica Plain, which is not too far from here, but really hard to get to and takes a long time. <laughs> it's across the river and through the woods. Um, so she is doing that currently this year and is also currently enrolled in Meaning Making, which we share that class together. And then next to her is Carlisle Stewart. Carlisle is in his third year of his Master of Divinity. And Carlisle has done pastoral preparation and leadership at a local congregation called First Church Congregational in Cambridge. It's a United Church of Christ um, church where he's not only done pastoral leadership um, preaching and worship, but also community organizing with the Greater Boston Interfaith Organization. So uh, that has been part of his experience there. And this past summer did a unit of clinical pastoral education, which is a separately accredited program that you can get field education credit for. And it's essentially interfaith hospital chaplaincy with all sorts of support and group work and didactics that hopefully he will share with us about as well. And then next to me is Salvador Pena. And Salvador last year was an intern 
in the Student Affairs Office at the Harvard Graduate School of Arts and Sciences. This is something that he came to our office wanting to do, so proposed it through the student-initiated application process and uh, had supervision on site with a wonderful supervisor and was uh, widely recognized for, for his work um, as an outstanding uh, student worker across Harvard University. And then last summer, he was uh, traveled internationally to Argentina to an organization called El Arca. And El Arca is a L'Arche community, which um, those of you who know uh, the theologian, late theologian Henry Nouwen, uh, formed these communities. And I'm going to have him speak more in depth about that instead of saying too much more. So thank you for being with us uh, today. And I'm going to turn it over to Ella. Cool. Hey, y'all. Uh, <laughs> welcome. Maybe like, take a deep breath, shake it out. I know these days are kind of intense. Um, Laura, I really appreciate your introduction. Um, and I feel like it made me appear like a completed and like arrived human being, which is like so not true. <laughs> um, so uh, again, my name is Ella Hartley. My pronouns are she, her series. Uh, I was an Outward Bound instructor, so teaching backpacking, mountaineering, and rock climbing in Colorado for five years before I came to HDS. Um, I had studied Arabic and religious studies in undergrad, and I'd, always, I'd heard about this program and was like, oh, that sounds like fun, um, and applied three times, but only finished my application once because I like, <laughs> wasn't quite ready yet. Hmm. Um, if there's anything I've spent close to 10,000 hours at trying to master. It's being in the mountains with students and traveling in um, like wilderness areas. So when I came to HDS, it felt like a pretty severe left turn away from something that I had spent a lot of time trying to master. Uh, my first year, I felt pretty lost. I came here interested in religious literacy. I thought that the, the thread that would continue through was, um, was being an educator. So I was like, cool, I'm gonna go to HDS, I'm gonna learn how to teach about religions, make it a less scary topic of conversation, break down some of these like barriers. And, and quickly in my classes, um, my attention was hijacked uh, really by like anti-racism work and thought and I, will be vulnerable and honest with y'all. It took me until I was like 29 years old and showing up here to be like, I'm white and I gotta do something about that. Mm -hmm. Or not like about it, but with it. Um, <laughs> and I, so I returned to the Colorado Outbound School both as a like pulse check of like, this is where I've been for the last year and this is what I know myself as, as like an instructor. So like, does this still fit me? Uh, and also recognizing that um, Outward Bound as, an outdoor in, as part of the outdoor industry is working on diversity, equity, inclusion, and what that looks like. It's a very white space right now. Um, and uh, I, it was really useful for me to return and to have that support of that one hour a week supervisor and of HDS and kind of connecting where I had been and where I was going and how HES fit into this. I 
felt completely fresh and ignorant when I came here. Um, and returning, I was able to see how these two endeavors kind of like mm, weaved, were woven together. So from Cobbs, I had this like, or excuse me, from Outward Bound, Colorado Outward Bound School, so Cobbs, um, I had this the problem solving abilities, I had this kind of, these calm leadership skills I developed. Um, I was pretty great at asking like, how are you? And meaning it and, and letting folks know that I meant it and then listening to that. And I've been, I gathered this ability to recognize feel, fear and anxiety in the folks around me and also to kind of like let my weird out so that <laughs> other folks were cool letting their weird out too. Um, we could like build those spaces together. And then when I went back, I realized the skills I was developing at HDS were these critical questioning skills and um, language for nuanced issues and a vocabulary for the things that I'd been seeing but didn't know how to name. Um, and this very like humbling recognition that I am a student and I will always be a student. So even though I was able to return to a place where I was an expert, I still was a student <laughs> in many ways and this place had kind of broken down that like, I know what I'm doing piece. Um, and, and inserted a useful amount of humility into, into that practice. Um, so my first year, my, the classes I get psyched about are racial justice and um, like Tani Thomas's class in um, race, religion in the United States. If you get the chance to take a class with Tani Thomas, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Um, I, so when I, when I was at Cobbs, I recognized, oh, there is this need here. Like, we are starting this diversity, equity, inclusion work. We're at the beginning. We're not doing it very well. I'm at the beginning, too. So when I return to HDS, how do I gain the skills I need to become the person I need to be, to be the way I need to be in order to start to do this work and like bring this back to this community that I know well and I have some standing in to talk about these really intense issues. Um, I, yeah, so I, this informed, so what I'm doing right now, this racial reconciliation and healing project in Jamaica Plain is so rad. Um, and I've done student initiated programs the whole time. Like the, the list uh, is extensive and helpful for many and was not helpful for me. And OMS um, was super supportive as I was figuring out what would work for me and how to make it work. So Melissa Bartholomew directed me to Racial Rec, which is an after-school program with juniors and seniors in high school. So I get like that teenager thread from Outward Bound. Um, and it's uh, eight students who are white, eight students who are people of color. And we meet on Mondays to talk about health inequities and kind of the like crunchy brain stuff of um, systemic racism in the United States. And then on Wednesdays, we do the heart work and kind of the high risk work where we talk about how race, uh, how racism shows up in our lives um, and uh, how we're culpable in it, how it's affected us, how we perpetuate it. And it's very intense. I'm working with some mentors who are phenomenal human beings um, and I'm so grateful to be working there. And if I hadn't, then looking at that thread and following it and seeing how it showed up in my first year, how it then came back with me to Cobbs, and then how it's coming in this year, I don't think that I would have realized as quickly that this is, these are the skills I'm trying to gain. Um, so that's, that's where I'm at right now. Perfect. Thanks. 
Hello everyone, my name is Carlisle Stewart. I'm a third year Master of Divinity student here, originally from Detroit, Michigan, and I still don't know what I'm doing. And the, and the reason why I say that is because I, I sat in the same place that you all are in now. Um, and I know that even considering Divinity School, considering seminary comes with a lot. Um, some of you may be second career, third career, some of you may be straight out of undergrad, but I personally believe that it's important that you are here because something is drawing you to this type of work, whether that's PhD work, ministry, chaplaincy. So um, before I go into what I prepared, just to give you a little background about myself. Uh, as I said, I'm originally from Detroit, Michigan, uh, the son of a pastor, grandson, great grandson. It just it goes back generations. So mm. my entire life, I knew I wanted to be anything but a pastor. Right? <laughs> um, so when I came here, uh, I had worked a couple of years out of undergrad. I went to University of Michigan, studied psychology. Um, and, you know, I went through somewhat of a spiritual transformation as I was maturing throughout my life. Um, and initially, I thought I wanted to be a professor of religion. I thought I wanted to just do PhD work, um, study religion critically, um, completely detached from the realm of ministry, per se. Um, so I applied, I ended up getting in, and I came here and, and realized that it wasn't what I thought I would be. And what I mean by that is the second week I knew that I was not destined to be an academic. I knew that the second week. Um, and that was a tough process for me because for the majority of my life, I was fighting, I would say, a call to ministry. Uh, because growing up in these spaces, and, and it was my entire world, my, my, uh, my social circles, my, uh, my home life, that was, that was me. So um, when I came here, I, I always told myself I didn't want to do that, but there was something that was still pulling me towards uh, divinity school. So uh, the first year I was in MTS, uh, I didn't consider field ed education originally. Um, and then something continued to tell me to, to look more deeply into it. To, to see and to explore the different prospects of the things that I could do here. Um, and by the end of my first year, I switched. I knew this is not working. Like, I feel like there's something missing. Um, my education is not as enriching and as valuable as I feel like it should be at this moment. Um, and a lot of that was my anxiety of feeling like I needed to figure everything out so soon and so quick, which is not really realistic because this is a process, you know. Um, and during that time, I had to recognize that it was a process. But I switched my degree program, I switched to the MDiv, and then my first year, or excuse me, my second year last year, I worked as a, a seminarian in a church, United Church of Christ, first church, uh, not too far from Harvard Square, which was a great experience for me personally. Um, but when I made that decision, I still was just getting my feet wet. Um, I still was a little bit skeptical about the idea of working in a church and coming back to the church after having spent so much time there. Um, so I was skeptical, a little bit hesitant to really dive into too deep, but um, the first sermon I gave was actually on my father's birthday back home in Detroit, uh, and that changed everything for me. Mm. That was the confirmation that I needed, um, and it only took me 25 years to get there, but uh, once I started to really open my ears and listen to what I felt like I was being pulled to, the type of work that I was um, inspired by, then things started to really fall into place. But that was a tough journey. That was a tough journey because um, being in a place like this, it can be very confusing sometimes. It can be very isolating. It can be alienating. Um, and I say all that because I personally feel like people come here to find something or 
whether that's to gain a practical skill to become a hospital chaplain or a minister or do racial justice and reconciliation work. But even coming to a divinity school in the 21st century is a leap of faith. Um, <laughs> considering the job prospects and how loans are set up. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that's really, I think it's important that we realize that there are things that are pulling us, but the thing that I wanted to, to really focus on for this, uh, for this conversation is, is just listening. So much I think of field education is listening to understand where you might be pulled to a direction that you didn't really expect before. And also when you get there, listen to whatever, whatever your theology is, whether that's God, the universe, whatever you want to call it, listen to what your heart or that voice is telling you. Um, and it's not until I started really listening and being able to take a step back and stop trying to control everything that stuff really started to unfold and make mm. sense for me. Um, and uh, that's how I found my passion. That's how I found my vocational calling. And um, to this day, uh, as much as I complain about being here sometimes, as much as I complain about um, you know, the busyness, the, the nonstop work, the nonstop confusion, I, I thank God for the opportunity to be here because I wouldn't have found um, what I believe is my life, my life calling, you know, my vocation. Um, but like I said before, that was something that was really uh, a difficult process for me. How long have I been talking now? Am I rambling? Just I take that. your time, brother. I gotta take your time? Okay, yeah, because I know y'all said seven minutes, but when you get a preacher up here, you just start, <laughs> you know, you just start talking, you know how it is. Um, so yeah, uh, the church was great. The second field education placement I did was a, a clinical pastoral education this past summer which is one of the most difficult things emotionally, spiritually that I've ever done. Um, fully immersing yourself into uh, trauma settings in a hospital, uh, being a chaplain, um, seeing incredible suffering on a day-to-day -day basis, but also having to reconcile and figure out how is that affecting you and how does how you are as a person affect the ministry and the care that you provide mm. and the didactics and the conversations and being in these rooms with, uh, these rooms with like seven other students for like eight hours a day and then being on the floors you know, all day, three days a week, it just, it really starts to wear on you and it can wear you thin if you don't have an ability to really refill your cup, which I didn't. Um, cause I didn't really, you know, we talk about self care, but during the time I didn't really know how to do that cause I come from a place where, you know, you, you have responsibilities, you gotta take care of business. So self care is not something I was really ever exposed to. Mm -hmm. But we talk about it, please take it seriously. Please take it seriously. Whatever type of field education placement you do, whether that's in a hospital, or even um, a, a college chaplaincy. You gotta be able to have time for yourself to refill your cup, to take a step back, to really uh, um, figure out how things are affecting you, which uh, I had the time to do with my supervisor in CPE. Um, but I would recommend that for not only ministers in training or, or chaplains in training, but anybody. CPE taught me more about myself in what 11, 12 weeks than I ever could have possibly imagined to learn. And I feel that much more competent and capable as a minister because pastoral care is one of the things I love most about ministry um, and working in a church and, and working with parishioners in the congregation. Um, so CPE is something, like I said, originally I didn't expect to do it when I came here. I just was kind of like floating around trying to figure out, is this aligned with what I, what I know I wanna do? Pastoral care, ministry, church, congregation, yes, this is it, so I'm gonna go that way. Um, and it turned out being one of the best decisions that I made. Um, so, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a pretty holistic picture of like what I've been doing here. 
I mean, right now, the church that I did my first placement, I'm on the staff there now, so um, still doing good work there. Um, but one thing I wanted to also mention before I close is uh, the difference between humility and doubt and self-deprecation. Because um, I think that there's a very fine line between that, and that's something I've struggled with since I've been here, uh, reconciling this call to ministry, but then also not feeling capable or able or having the skill set, um, which is, humility is very, very important, but um, I just want to make sure that you all remember whatever it is that you do here, it's easy to have imposter syndrome at Harvard. It's easy to be burdened with doubt at Harvard. It's easy to think that you don't deserve to be here, but you're sitting here, you will get in here for a reason. You know, and I just want to leave you all with this bit of inspiration that whatever it is that you end up doing, remember that there's a calling that you have on your life, but you just got to believe that it's there for a reason and that you can fulfill it. Um, so, yeah, without with nothing else. But, um, yeah, that's all I'll say. But yeah. if you all have any questions, if you all have any questions or you want to talk to me afterwards, I'll hang around for a few minutes and we can have some conversation. And, uh, yeah, thank, <laughs> thank you. you so much, Carlos. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> now I want to do CPE. <laughs> um, so hi, my name is Salvador Peña. I'm from the Dominican Republic. Um, I came here with a bit of experience, um, work experience. I'm actually a civil engineer. Um, after that, uh, after working some years in the private sector, I wanted to change and I did a master's in international affairs, concentrating in international development and shifted, doing the same kind of work that I was doing in the private sector, but in the multilateral sector. And that wasn't also fulfilling me. Something was missing, um, as Carlisle was saying, and I, I felt this calling. Um, I am here part of the religious nuns, N-O-N-E-S, uh, and we're a group of people at Harvard Divinity School with no religion, and that include people that are atheists to people like myself who are very spiritual but not, uh, don't identify with any organized uh, uh, church. Um, and I was drawn to Harvard because of that. Harvard is trying to, Harvard Divinity School is trying to redefine what it means to be a minister. And they're saying, yes, a minister is someone behind a pulpit preaching to a congregation, but it's also anyone in any capacity, whatever field they're working, working uh, with moral and ethical with backbone, mm -hmm. something that is what, is, what it is that you're bringing to an environment that doesn't have that. Being a minister doesn't only have to be in a church, and that's what drew me. And I feel that the Office of Ministry Studies, with their field education, they allow for that, that exploration of letting you define what it means to be a minister and what is your type of ministry, what it is that you're calling um, that ha has you here, and then you're going to give to the world out, not necessarily in a church setting. So I think with that in mind, this was a great panel with you working in social justice, racial justice, you doing the religious church CPE, and my two experiences were um, very rare, I know, but I worked hard for it and applied and got it. Uh, two um, units of uh, field education that were student-initiated. Um, I said I'm from the Dominican Republic, and mid to long term, I want to go back and maybe go into politics, and one of the things that I wanted to focus on was um, education, and that's why I chose the Graduate School of Arts and Sciences here. I said, um, if I want to focus on education, let me work for for one of the institutions that is uh, most renowned uh, on education, and let me learn that. Um, 
I had been there for a while, but then introducing the theological reflection, what Professor Click mentioned, was uh, a game changer, and it shifted the relationship that I had uh, with the staff in the school, uh, because it gives you an opportunity to f reflect on what you're doing and, and helping you, as Carlisle sa said, define and redefine uh, your strategy, what it is that you're doing, how, how are you bringing this. Um, another thing that brought me here was that I feel that um, as an engineer and the work that I was doing, it was very cerebral. And I had the all brain experience, but that wasn't nurturing enough. And then during my career, I always took time off and did all these, um, I don't know, meditation retreats and uh, one year of travel, volunteering in Palestine, Israel, things like that. Um, and I felt that a lot of those experiences were all heart, not and I felt it was great, but it wasn't challenging enough. And here at HDS, what I found is that I'm surrounded by very smart people that are heart-centered. And I think that when I graduate next year, what I'm gonna to bring to whatever field I end up working in is that union of heart and brain. Um, I feel that in many places that's missing, and that's what I've learned through the, both my field uh, education placements. So the first one was in GSIS, as I mentioned. In there, I was working at, uh, in the Office of Student Affairs, but also working with ad hoc projects in residential life, financial aid, learning pretty much how Harvard internally works and helping students navigate policy. Um, I became sort of like the, the uh, I don't know, the guru for students. PhD students are under a lot of pressure and they get stressed and most of the time my job was calming them down and saying, hey, calm down, it's, everything is going to be okay, let's breathe. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then my second unit was uh, this past summer in Argentina and I was working with El Arca Argentina and large communities around the world work with people um, with and without um, mental disabilities um, and that was extremely enriching. It's something that um, gave me an opportunity to uh, teach a, a community that I didn't know needed it um, how to meditate and they took it well. I was living in a house with people that needed care 24 hours a day, uh, doing stuff, pretty much getting my feet wet in, in things that I had never done. And that's the, the great thing about field education here, that it allows you, uh, gives you an opportunity to explore um, the things that you think that you want, but it's also a great opportunity to go into things that you might not think about or uh, even consider as an option for after graduation, you can do that while you're here. Um, I don't know, that, that can look like, every, every time when I was doing um, my field education placement, what I was thinking was, what is it that I'm bringing to this environment that is currently not present here? Um, and that training is, um, I think, the most enriching thing that I've gotten from HDS. Um, and that could look like, I don't know, at, at Harvard, instead of, we get so many emails. I cannot tell you how much students appreciated that for whatever, something that I needed to communicate, instead of an email, I would call. It was like, oh, great, a voice, not, not some, some screen. Or, uh, as I said, telling them everything is gonna be okay, don't worry, we'll, we'll work it through. Or um, at El Arca, getting one-on-one -on -one and doing individual attention, um, uh, giving individual attention to each of the community members. Um, every afternoon in the workshop, they have um, a shop where they do manual work during the day. And in the afternoon, there was a tradition of playing music. But usually, either the volunteers or the director would play their own playlists. And when I got there, I was like, mm, this might not be working. And I made it a tradition to ask everyone, I give an opportunity for everyone to choose a song. And so 
those afternoons when I was there, everyone would listen to something that they liked. And at the end of it, I didn't know that was a big change, but at the end of it, it was something that they mentioned like, wow, thank you for that. We never thought of asking them, what do you want to listen to? <laughs> uh, or um, teaching them meditation. Argentina is a Catholic country and it's pretty much Christian and that's uh, large communities was based on Catholic tradition. It's now um, open to all religions, uh, but it started as a Christian base and each, uh, um, Arca community around the world works is different and in Argentina being a Catholic country is mostly Catholic but they were very curious and they wanted to learn more about religions and stuff and so I ended up creating for them a workshop on world religions and teaching them different things every week twice a week I, we would uh, have a different religious uh, prayer sometimes it was Christian sometimes it was Buddhist sometimes we would do a little bit of Hindu chanting and uh, stuff like that which they really appreciated um, one thing, uh, this is a parenthesis, one thing I, I brought to the community was this concept of the pause button. And because they, um, some of them have anxiety and all that, they, they can get stressed out and sometimes they, they would just be removed from, from the environment. Um, and I taught them something like a, a pause button. It's just a mm. little piece of string with a button in there. That when you're getting overwhelmed, you press pause, breathe, and then calm down and everything is okay. They loved it. And one funny thing that happened was as I was teaching meditation, Nico, um, one of the community members with Down syndrome, he, uh, he was the only one that did it. Whenever I would say, okay, let's start meditating, he would press pause and we would meditate 10, 15 minutes. And at the end of it, he would press play so that he could move oh. again. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in closing, what I can tell you is um, if when you get in, uh, explore, uh, you, you're, as an MDiv, you're only required to do two units. Do more if you want to. That's a, that's a great chance of um, learning new things. Dare to try something new. Even if you, if you think that you, you're getting in here with a, a perfect career path, dare to do something different. And, and uh, they, they would love it. One, one other thing that OMS is great for is that failure here is, is a word that doesn't exist. So when you go to a field education placement and it didn't work out, that's a success. It's like, oh, that's something that I don't want and I won't have to look for that. And they are very supportive with that. Um, and then you get to define your form of ministry, as I said, uh, that can look as anything because what we're trying, what they are trying to do here is to, uh, yes, create, create ministers, but that are gonna be uh, bringing their light to not only churches and congregations around the world. Thank you, Salvador. Thank you to our panel. Wow. Do you want to say anything or do you want to take questions? Um, I will, I think, why don't we do questions uh, so that you Margaret, can. Margaret, we have five minutes, right? Yes. Okay. Have a chance, Definitely. yeah. I don't, maybe, yeah. yeah. Um, with the suitcase. <laughs> Hi, I'm Larissa Shatirian, and I've got two questions. I'm going to ask one and then see if there's time. Um, I'm wondering about um, the, the payment that you get paid to do um, your, your placements. And I'm like a cradle Episcopalian and like grew up with seminarians in my churches and never heard of that. I always just assumed it was a volunteer thing they were doing for credit. Um, how does that work? Do you ever send people to churches that are like less affluent or does that not work with like somebody 
learning on the job. Um, just, um, yeah. So you're familiar, she's, she's, she's familiar with the reality that not only churches, but many of the organizations that you are pulled toward for the work that you want to do, unfortunately don't have really healthy financial status. So how does that work? Um, in short, we require you to be a full-time student. We're, we're not very flexible on that matter. And then we require you to be doing field education. And so it's sort of um, an equity thing that we recognize you can't really do that and do a job. So when we have a conversation with an organization, we do um, talk with them about the need to compensate our students and why. And you would be amazed at how easy that conversation is. People get it. And um, organizations get it. And they come up with um, the funds even when it's very, very tight, almost always. Um, there's someone behind you. Let's let them ask a question, and maybe you can come back with your second question if there's time. Hi. Um, this is, I guess, primarily for, for Salvador, but for, for anyone. Um, can you speak a little bit to um, experiences you've had with um, faculty or with coursework that have helped you um, figure out or, or guide for yourself what ministry can mean for someone who's unaffiliated um, and how sort of choosing your own or figuring out what ministry means for you can, can also be something sort of if that's been shaped for you by faculty and, and what sort of advising resources are available to that end? It has helped and um, initially when I came here I thought I was going to focus on the intersection of uh, religion and politics with my politics interest uh, in the long term. I thought that, that was the it made sense for the HDS degree. Uh, but then on my first semester, I took uh, a very famous professor, Emily Click's uh, administration <laughs> and, and leadership class. And I had taken leadership courses in the past, but this one was mind blowing because most leadership courses are give you a lens of leadership and how to lead others, which it is great, but this one put the lens on you. And you do so much self-reflection and self-knowledge that you identify what are your areas for growth and what it is really that you want. That class was transformational, so thank you for that. that and it was on my first semester, it was great. And in there we had several nuns, including one, I don't know if I can, I, I'll, I can say that. Her form of ministry was motherhood. She wanted to be the best mother that she could be and she was at HDS for that. Mm -hmm. uh, so as, again, it's very personal and and here throughout um, your time, talking to students, the small groups that you can form, the communities that you can be a part of, and talking with your advisor and professors, you'll get to define that. Can we do one more, Margaret, or are we? Okay, let's have you do the last question. Um, hi, my name is Malcolm. I'm a perspective um, MDiv student. Hopefully I'm a DivXer. Um, this is a question for Carlisle. Um, so I'm a, um, a young Baptist preacher as well. My dad's a minister, and so I've been around church, you know, my entire life as well. And so in coming to an environment like this that is so diverse, 
how did you, um, and I also get the sense and the feeling that Harvard wants their students to be true to themselves. And so I like that and I value that. So how did you navigate um, such waters of diversity, but also staying true to you know, your theology and what you believe? Yeah, that's a, that's a very, that's a great question. Um, and to speak to your first point about navigating these waters, uh, that's something that you have to learn how to do because when I first came here, there's, it's almost like a, it's a culture shock, you know, it's a, it's a new language that is spoken here. It's, um, it's a way of, a way of moving, a way of thinking sometimes, a way of communicating. And I found myself, um, at moments trying to fit in so deeply to how the culture was already established that at certain moments I felt myself losing myself um, and kind of losing my voice and not really being able to even like communicate certain things that I felt like I needed to. I'll give you an example. Um, I remember the first time I went home, I was having a conversation with my grandmother and I was trying to explain to her some um, theological idea, some, some theologian I was reading. And I explained it to her and she said, what did you just say? I have no idea what, what that means. Mm. And then I was thinking, what, what did I just say? Because she, <laughs> you know, she, she asked me to, to explain it in a different way. And I was thinking, OK, well, if I can't simplify this, do I even myself understand it? So not to, not to look down upon the language and how things are, are, are spoken and, and done here, but um, I had to learn how to articulate theological truths as I saw them in a way that would be productive for me and my community. Mm -hmm. um, and, and know that I can take the education that I have here, the guidance and the wisdom that I gain here, and learn how to integrate that so it's, it's good for me. But that, that's, a, that's a tough process and I still struggle with that sometimes. But um, I don't know if I'm answering your question directly, but, but uh, just even coming and being in this space and then being used to like say a black church experience, because you know I grew up in the Methodist church. Um, so like being AME or Baptist, it's a, it's a way, it's a worldview, you know, it's a way of living. Whereas here, um, I felt like a really, really detached from my community. And you know, family is everything for me. So um, being separated from that, I kind of had to find out who is Carlisle within the context of HDS um, and who is God calling me to become and what are the challenges that I need to go through. As, as uncomfortable as they may be, how do I need to challenge myself and put myself outside of my comfort zone to then, whether I go back to my community immediately, go into a different church somewhere else, but how I can integrate all of these versions of myself, not only my intellectual mind, my spiritual heart, my community you know, sensibilities, all these things into making me to be the best minister that I can be to wherever I go next. So uh, it's a constant process though, you know, but thank you for your question though. Yeah, that's yeah. very well put. Thank you to our panel and thank you to all of you. Thank <laughs> you.